Amen, amen, amen. Wow, that was a powerful prayer. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. My name is Miata, and I'm so um, privileged to be with you guys tonight. Um, we are in our worship series. Yeah. Um, okay, we could clap. I mean, <laughs> um, this is week four of our worship series. And um, if you missed the previous weeks, they were incredible. So you can go back to our YouTube channel and take a look at that. But tonight, I want to talk about a person a lot like us who encounters Jesus. And then I want to lead us through four scenes and ask four questions from a conversation in the book of John 4 that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. I believe this conversation will help us understand the kind of worship that God requires. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand to our feet. We're going to read some scripture. Um, Tonight we have a lot of scripture, but I'm only going to read a portion of it. So I'm going to read John 4, verse 19 through 25. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, I I pray for these few minutes um, as we come around your word, God, that you would quicken our minds to understand what you're saying Um, and that you would open our hearts to receive it. Lord, that we wouldn't just understand it, but embrace it. God, I'm praying our lives would be different from this encounter with your word right now. Um, And I can't produce that, so we're asking you to meet us. Um, Take a moment in your own hearts and minds and just ask God, please teach me, meet me tonight. Lord, would you meet us here in this holy moment? Thank you for all of these stories of Holy Spirit life change. Thank you for the ability to witness two people whose lives have been changed by you, Jesus. Would you call us to yourself in a fresh way tonight? Would you reveal yourself to us tonight in a fresh way? And would you cause us to follow you and respond to you in a fresh way tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Y'all can be seated. Okay, so it's no secret that I love movies. I love TV shows. Um, If you've heard me preach before, I've probably mentioned a show or a movie or something to that nature. Um, And so this story in John 4 with the Samaritan woman, or as commonly known, the woman at the well, is a story we're all familiar with, right? Yeah, you can, I like talk back church, so you can talk back. <laughs> um, this is a story we're all familiar with, but I want to look at it a little bit differently tonight. I want to look at it like it's a movie. And so we're going to take 
some snapshots, as I call them, scenes, with different sections from this story. So we're going to start with scene one, take one, in verse one, bars, um, (laughs) Jesus goes to Samaria, and it says this, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Can you guys say with me, he had to pass through Samaria. Um, So I'm just going to give you a little insight into how I read the Bible tonight. Um, When I read this, I thought immediately drama. (laughs) The Pharisees, like they do throughout the Bible, are stirring up some drama and trying to catch Jesus in some drama. And what does he immediately do? He says, oh, no, we're, we out of this drama. He bounces. And um, he's on his way to Galilee, but he goes through Samaria. Um, the Bible says, like we repeated, he had to pass through Samaria. Let me give you a little context. No Jewish person ever went through Samaria. They avoided it like the plague. Samaria was, uh, is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. It's broken into two parts, northern and southern. Southern, we know, is Judah. Uh, Samaria is the capital city of the northern section. Most Jews, I would say dislike, but hate is a better word. They hated Samaritans. Why? Because they mixed with the, the people around that God told them not to do, and they mixed faith. So they interwove other religions and faiths into their belief of the one true living God. So Jews disliked them for these two reasons. They considered them unclean people. So anyone considered unclean, you're not trying to be around, right? So they, uh, it's normally a three-day journey if you go the direct route through Samaria. Jews would take a six-day journey just to avoid even coming in contact with any Samaritans. So I say all that because... This verse, verse 4, where it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, tells us some some things about Jesus right at the top of this sermon. Jesus didn't have to do anything he didn't want to do. Right? (laughs) Period. Um, This was a divine appointment. There was someone he was going to meet in Samaria that he came for. And tonight, I want to remind all of us that This is the beauty of the gospel. We can't make our way to God. He comes to find us. He was on his way to come and find the Samaritan woman. Pastor AJ said in a sermon a couple of years ago, he said, Samaria, some area. There are some areas we try to avoid. Areas of brokenness. Areas of disappointment, areas of sin patterns, shame, pain, trauma, unforgiveness. You know the list of it. And I want to tell you tonight that God wants to come to your area. Straight through is the direct route, but sometimes straight through is the divine route. So the first question from this scene one is this. I want you to ask yourself, if you're taking notes tonight or maybe you're just um, listening, ask yourself this question. Where are you? 
What area of your life or soul are you avoiding dealing with? What area, and it's probably coming to your mind right now, is Jesus bringing up that he wants to come to? All right, scene two. Jesus meets a woman at a well. Let's go to our Bibles. It's verse 6 through 15. So this is a lot. He says this, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Which is profound. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her this. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I can imagine this conversation between Jesus and this woman. She's coming to a well. Think about summertime in Virginia and how hot it is at noon. We're not outside. We're inside with the air condition. So obviously she's coming to the well at this high hour because nobody's going to be there. She's trying to hide in plain sight. Have you been there? I know I have. She's avoiding people so she doesn't run into people to have a conversation about her life. She's trying to avoid the pain points of her life. And so when Jesus says, I can give you water, she thinks, please, I never want to come to this place again. I don't want to see these people. If I can have water on tap at my house, this is a perfect situation. (laughs) You know, some Dasani, Um, but maybe not Dasani, that's gross. But, you know, can I have some water on tap so I never have to come here? (laughs) It is gross. Um, She's sneaking away from all the people because she's a woman with a past. The last thing she wants to do is see anyone, let alone a man, let alone a Jewish man, let alone a rabbi. And he asks her for a drink. We've already set up that she's a Samaritan. She's unclean. So why would a Jewish person be asking a Samaritan for a drink of water or even engaging with them in conversation? This is profound. The gospel breaks down every dividing wall of hostility that keeps us from God because he bridged the gap for us. 
There's one of my favorite sermons is by Stephen Furtick, and he says this, which I love. He says, faith doesn't prevent fatigue. It gives you a place to sit. Jesus sat down by Jacob's well, and I want to ask you tonight, what wells are you sitting by? There's a lot of places that we're sitting by while we're tired, and it's only making us more tired, more fragmented, less whole, less informed. But Jesus is offering her a different type of well to drink from. And I want to offer that tonight for anybody in this room. We don't have to wait to the end of the sermon for you to have a moment with Jesus because he is here tonight and he's offering you living water. Not a water that's broken, not a water that will leave you dry and coming back, but a water that will make you whole. Will you drink? The second question that I want to ask tonight is, what do you need? Ask yourself that's, what do I need? My mom says, I, whenever you're, there's four things that, you, that when you find yourself in this situation, you need to ask yourself, are you halt? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? What do you need? And where are you? Jesus wants to address your immediate need tonight. He's a God who will come through 41 generations, as he does in this story, just to sit with you and encounter you. He doesn't avoid your situations. Maybe you've been avoiding those pain points because they're too painful. But I want to remind you tonight that Jesus is kind. And he wants to call you to himself to bring healing to you. But first, you have to ask yourself, where am I? And what do I need? Scene three. Go call your husband. Ooh, drama. All right. <laughs> okay, verse 16. Let's read this today together. She, he says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband. This is after, he said, after she says, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and I don't have to come here anymore. He says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> this is one of the funniest conversations in the Bible to me because don't we all do that? Don't we all, when someone gets too close, they touch that pain point and you redirect the conversation. You avoid the conversation. You don't want to talk about it. So you go, wow, wow, this is incredible. You must be a prophet. Um, <laughs> Jesus wants to deal with what the need underneath the immediate need. There's a soul level need that all of us have, right? Why are you angry? Why are you tired? Why are you lonely? Why are you hungry? Hungry is easy. You're hungry. You haven't eaten. The other ones are a little harder to pinpoint, right? 
Those are, I call them dashboard emotions. They're dashboard emotions that always point to a deeper issue. Because maybe your gas light is on tonight, but you have a leak in your gas tank. So it never stays full and it's always on. And so you're angry because that makes you angry. Or maybe you're lonely. You have a series of broken relationships in your past and you don't know what's going on. Right? So you're lonely, but there's a soul level need below that. God is calling us to be real. Not a Sunday morning only Christian. I can say that because I've been there, done that, have the Letterman jacket. <laughs> you know, like, this is real. Um, there's this quote that says, God can't heal what you hide. He can't heal what you disguise. He can't heal what you avoid. He can't heal what you pretend to not be dealing with. I'm a singer, and so... Um, I want to share some fun facts because I can. There, the smallest muscle in our body is the vocal cord. There's times when I haven't drunk a lot of water and I'm getting ready to lead worship and I can feel like my voice is crusty and so I just go ahead and quickly drink some water. Um, and anyone who has sung or plays an instrument knows that that's just slapping a Band-Aid on an issue, right? Hello. <laughs> The real deep issue is that I need to have vocal health. And to have vocal health means I need to consistently be drinking water. <laughs> Look at all these worshipers. Um, because the vocal cord is the last muscle in the body to get water. So when you drink water, it goes to all your biggest muscles first. How many know that I'm not talking about the vocal cord anymore? If you only drink water one Sunday a month, you won't transform or change. Your proclivities, your dependencies, the root cause of your behavior is going to stay the same. If you only drink water of your word one Monday a week, it won't transform your desires. If the only water that my plant gets is the leftover water from my glass, how many of us know that it won't survive that long? But why do we think we would be any different? God isn't interested in a drive-by relationship with us where he only interacts with you on a surface level. Some of us are surface level Christians. No one knows anything real about you. We're content with everyone, including God, only knowing and touching what we want them to know and touch. So the question tonight is, who are you really? Not just what you're trying to show outwardly, but are you going to let God see who you really are? Are you going to keep him at a distance and hide behind the facade that you put on for everyone else? Or will you let him actually meet you? That's question number three. 
And what I love about this conversation is that she says, after he says, um, you have five husbands and the one that you're living with is not your husband, she goes, wow, I perceive you are um, a prophet. And she goes on to say this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. I want to just stop right there because this, this is so funny to me because I've done it so many times where it's like someone touches that pain point and you immediately go into defense mode and deflect. But I want to encourage us tonight to don't let shame make you change the conversation to superficial or choose an alternative route, it will only end up hurting you in the end. How many of us, when God gets too close to a pain point, you want to switch up the subject? I read something this week that said, remember, human beings are expert fakers. (laughs) We are very good at walking into a room as if we have it all together. But the thing is, Each one of us assumes we're the only one doing this. (laughs) This is one of the primary ways that the enemy keeps us isolated. This big lie that we are the only ones performing, that we are the only ones with pain and brokenness that others can't see. Our gift is not spotting this complexity in others, but keeping others from spotting it in us. (laughs) Y'all, this is real. So scene four, I call this the worship conversation. It's what we read at the top of the sermon this evening, and I just want to read it real quick. He says this in verse 21 to 25. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. There's a couple of things that we see in this scene. One, she brings up an an age-old conversation and argument between the Samaritans and, and the Jews. It's this controversy of where right worship is supposed to take place. The Samaritans built a temple in Samaria, and they believe that that is right worship. The Jews have a temple in Jerusalem, and they believe that that is where true worship of God is ought to take place. And Jesus, in this one conversation, breaks down this entire argument and says, neither of you guys are right. Okay. 
Neither of you guys are right. You're staunchly fighting each other, but not looking for me. You're going through the motions of all these religious traditions, but not actually looking for God. The second thing I see in this conversation is Jesus follows the turn of her conversation. He doesn't call her out when she avoids the topic of talking about what's really going in her, in her life. And he answers her questions. But he also answers her questions on two different levels. He's proving that he can be trusted. She's never interacted with a man, let alone a Jewish man, who's been honest, who's been compassionate, who hasn't shamed her, who hasn't shunned her, who, has avoided, who hasn't avoided her questions. He answers her face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And I love that he doesn't avoid the facts of our situations. Yeah, Jesus doesn't avoid the fact of our situation. He answers our questions. So tonight, do you have questions that you want to ask Jesus? That maybe you're avoiding asking because it's too hard or it's too complicated, you feel like? I really believe he's going to answer them. But he also says this. He's looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. How do you worship God in spirit and truth if you don't know God? That's the number one. That's the only way to worship God is if you know him, you've given your life to him, and you've allowed his spirit to renew your spirit and move into your heart. So that's number one. Worshiping God in spirit requires his spirit. <laughs> that's really simple, but it's, it's profound. It requires his spirit and truth. He is the truth. So believing the word of God and following everything that he says in his word is worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. As believers, we are called to engage with God on a spiritual level, moving beyond traditional rituals or superficial practices to experience a profound connection with the one who created us. To worship God in spirit, we must engage our whole being, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, It's this intimate relationship that's made possible because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who unites us with God and guides us. Worshiping God in truth requires that we align our worship with the reality of who he is and what he has revealed to us through his word. There's no other way to worship. I know sometimes we think that worshiping is singing. That's the bare minimum. We need to come to Jesus knowing who he is, believing that he is, trusting that he is, going to his word and finding truth in it. And then we need to come to him with our whole selves. There's a passage in Psalms that says, I laid all the pieces of my life before God, and he put them back together piece by piece. Perhaps you're still broken because you're hiding pieces from God. 
So the last question in this scene-by-scene sermon is, who is Jesus? What do you really believe about him? Because what you believe about him is how you will respond to him. And Pastor Tellis said in the I Fear God series, he said, how you see him is how you will receive him. God showed up in Samaria on a hot summer day for a woman with a past, avoiding people just so that he can make her whole. What about you? There's this quote that I saw running around the internet, and it said, it's about parents and and their kids, and it said this, I hope my daughter grows up thinking, I have to tell mom, she will know what to do, instead of, I'm scared to tell mom because she won't understand. Do you treat God like your first call or your last resort? This is the worship that God requires. A worship in spirit and in truth. Not a dissonant worship. Dissonant means it's clashing sounds. Like the spirit ain't right, the truth's not in it, it's just all over the place. Or are you worshiping God with your bringing your whole self, your mind, your will, your emotions, trusting that he is who he says he is and that his word is what it says it is. That's the worship that God requires. Not traditional, all of the coming to church on Sunday, which is good. We're here to gather together. But sometimes we get in a routine and we negate the relationship we ought to have with God. So then this ends. This whole story, this meeting with Jesus and this woman at the, at the well The disciples come back, and she goes off into the town to tell them, come meet a man who told me about everything I had done. I love this statement for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus didn't just tell her facts, but probably for the first time in her life, she had actually been seen and known. She met someone who would lovingly confront her with truth and mercy, and in meeting him, her whole the whole orientation of her life was realigned. When she understood who God really was, her ability to see herself shifted. Now she could run back to the very people who shunned her and the people she tried to avoid and talk to them with no fear, no shame. She actually was able to go to the places and spaces that had hurt her, because the healed you begins to change because you're changed. I also love this aspect of community. Even though our encounter with God is individual, our relationship with God is not solo. What do you do? What, how do you respond when you've had an encounter with God? I think this encounter forces us to evaluate, did I really encounter God if nothing in my life has changed? Or did I just have an emotional moment? 
I stole this from Charles when we were um, discussing my sermon, and he said, have you ever noticed that when we talk about people who've had an encounter with God, we say, that person is on fire? Have you heard that? Yeah. And it's obvious, but fire moves. When you see fire, you know it's fire. You don't have to assume, assume it's fire, right? But fire moves, and being in proximity to a fire affects you. If it doesn't produce fire, it's not going to change anything in you or around you. Her encounter with Jesus caused everything in her life to change, and it caused her to want to tell everybody about it. And I think even if she didn't tell everybody about it, I feel like people would have noticed that her life was changed, that she approached life differently. For me, I know we've been crying out for revival. We've been praying for revival. We've been asking God for revival every single week, and we are seeing it in our services. Our services are fire. But I believe that revival takes surrender. And the revival that we want to see, not just in here on an awesome Sunday morning, but the revival we want to see in our families, we want to see in our communities, the revival we want to see in our nation, dear God, is going to start with us surrendering and worshiping God for real. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth, bringing our whole selves, not holding anything back, but surrendering and committing our lives to his word and his truth. So the last question is, how will you respond? So I want to pray. I know these are a lot of questions. I'm going to review them really quick because I'm a teacher and I like to review stuff. The first question was what? Where are you? Okay, yes. Second question what do you need? <laughs> the second one is, what do you need? Number three is, who are you really? Number four is, who is Jesus? That's right. And number five is, how will you respond? So I want to pray. I want to ask God to come and meet us tonight. Um, it may feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to say it out loud. If you want to come to the altar as a response to what God is doing, because confession and repentance and turning to Jesus is what starts the process of transformation, for real. It's what we've been talking about this whole, this whole sermon is about the worship that God requires. It requires us to be honest with ourselves and with God. It requires us to allow God to come to Samaria. Not avoiding it, but allowing him to address it. So let's pray.